Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Republican presidential candidate and now president-elect Donald Trump adopted a campaign platform that included building a wall on the southern border, taking a hardline approach in dealing with illegal immigration, and a proposed ban on Muslims entering the United States. In addition, the Republican Party platform included repealing marriage rights for gay couples, banning transgendered Americans from using the facilities of their choice, and rolling back civil rights protections for the LGBT community. Joining us to discuss the impact the Trump administration may have on Muslims, Latinos, and LGBT Americans is Salam Bhatti, Deputy Spokesperson for the Ahmadiyya Muslim community of central pennsylvania ted martin executive director of equality pennsylvania and gloria vasquez merrick executive director of the latino hispanic american community center of the greater harrisburg region (coughs) welcome to the program thank you thank you thanks for having us we are taking your phone calls 1-800-729-7532 if you have a question or a comment or if you uh, would like to email us a question or comment you can do that at smarttalk at witf.org a question for the three of you uh, what are you hearing from your peers uh, people in your organizations uh, are they curious about the change are they apprehensive Maybe there are some people who are even hopeful. And I'll kind of go left or right here. Salam? Uh, well, thanks for uh, having me here. I'm yes. Just, uh, I'm from the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. We're Muslims who believe in the Messiah, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Ghadiyan. We believe he came to unite mankind under one peaceful banner. So this apprehension that we see, that this anxiety that we see, we're trying to change the narrative by engaging in dialogue so that we can unite through education, instead of giving into this fear and this anxiety that's popping up everywhere. But dialogue with who? Dialogue with Muslims and non-Muslims. So nationally, we've uh, implemented this program called Coffee, Cake, and True Islam. So if you don't know a Muslim or if you don't know much about Islam, we invite you to a coffee shop, and we provide the coffee, we provide the cake, <coughs> and we have a great conversation where you get to ask all the questions you want about Islam. So you can stop fearing or being anxious around Muslims. All right, that's here in central Pennsylvania. But uh, you have uh, a president will be in the White House in in two months that uh, talked about a total Muslim ban. How do you have that conversation on that level? So we can either close the doors to our mosques and live in fear within our own country, or we can change the narrative and take it in our own hands to change the narrative. And that's what we're doing. We're going through all legal means, and we're going to use rational discourse, dialogue, and education to change people's minds. Now, Richard, the problem is that 60% of Americans don't know a Muslim. As a result, they fear what they don't know. They fear who they don't understand. And that's why we have this rise in hate and acts against Muslims. So we're going to change that from the grassroots level. It's going to be a bottom-up approach. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is that the people who voted for Donald Trump because... Uh, they supported a ban on Muslims entering the country. You want to get to those people. That's correct, yep. And we've taken to social media with our True Islam USA accounts on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram to change that narrative across the board from uh, Muslims and non-Muslims. And it's 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 making a good progress. Mm-hmm. Gloria Vasquez-Merrick, you're the executive director of the Latino Hispanic American Community Center of the greater Harrisburg region. Um, day one, when uh, Donald Trump announced his candidacy for president, he talked about uh, criminals coming into the United States from Mexico, committing crimes, raping, uh, and also the, the building a wall along the southern border, which frightened very many immigrants who had family members in Mexico or Central America coming over the border. 
at what you what are you hearing from your colleagues, people in your organization, apprehensions, mm -hmm. concerns? Well, we're a community-based organization, and we're right here out of Allison Hill in Harrisburg, and so we're boots on the ground. And so every day we are speaking with uh, Latinos that come into the center and have some of the same concerns across the board, uh, concerns in relation to, in particular to immigration, uh, concerns how are they, you know, are they going to build a wall? And yesterday, of course, you, you heard that it's gonna, not going to be a wall. It might be a fence. Well, 60 then, minutes, right. We're going to have some cuts from yeah, that. Yeah, and so, so, you know, I'm hoping that that type of uh, that type of thinking continues in that maybe there will be some backpedaling in terms of how they anticipate following through with some of these uh, some of these threats uh, so there is a lot of anxiety I mean we have a lot of Latinos that are legal but the there's a misconception that most of them are illegal and uh, so you know we're looking at um, how do we um, how do we curtail the amount of anxiety, uh, the level of fear of some of our clients that come into the center that are saying, "Wow, you know, they really don't want us here," or now, you know, they could be separating our, our our children from us. And so we serve everyone in the community, legal and illegal. But you know, we're hearing it across the board, not just from anyone who might walk in that wants assistance with becoming a citizen, who might be not not be here legally now, but is pursuing that path of citizenship, but you know, even people that are here legally have some concerns. And, um, you know, so it's kind of a, a wait and see what happens with that. I mean, right now the emphasis seems to be on the criminal aspect of it. Uh, but eventually uh, we're not sure where it's going to go. What's the biggest here, the bi biggest fear, I should say, the biggest apprehension that you hear from uh, Latinos that are coming to your organization? Well, it's 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 a fear of the unknown, basically. So it's what you're not hearing. It's the silence. It's the, it's it, again, it's the fear of the unknown. It's like you know, this is what we're anticipating, but maybe, and you know, just hinging on some hope that there won't be as a significant impact as is perceived at this time. Ted Martin is executive director of Equality Pennsylvania. Ted, what are you hearing? So Equality Pennsylvania is the statewide LGBT political advocacy organization. And, you know, I think what I heard the most is fear, uh, really terrible fear. The day after the election, I spent most of my day on the phone with people who had called me from all over Pennsylvania asking whether or not the government was now going to come in and take away their marriage rights, was going to now come in and forcibly some way make them less equal as a married couple. And it was fear. I mean, it was real palpable conversations. And, you know, you have to reassure people. You have to explain to people what the situation is. And even though, you know, as I'm sure we're going to talk about, the president-elect, you know, has flip-flopped more than a freshly caught flounder on this issue, quite frankly, uh, you know, there's still an a enormous number of people. And the people that has, you know, he's brought with him, as my grandmother said, your actions speak louder than your words. The vice president-elect is perhaps the most anti- LGBT governor uh, in, in American history. And so, like my colleagues here, I mean, we're waiting to see, but there is palpable uh, fear out there. Last night, uh, and Gloria mentioned this, uh, the 60 Minutes interview, and I imagine there were some a, a real big audience that was interested in that interview last night, Leslie Stahl and uh, Donald Trump. And one of the questions she did ask was about uh, same-sex marriage, and this is how uh, President-elect Trump answered that question. It's irrelevant because it was already settled. It's law. It was settled in the Supreme Court. I mean, it's done. So even if you appoint a judge that... It's done. It, you have... Uh, these cases have gone to the Supreme Court. They've been settled. And uh, I think I'm, I'm fine with that. Basically, what he's saying is the Supreme Court has made a decision and that he's not going to do anything to change that. But 
Leslie Stahl brought up that point about judges that will be appointed in the future. And he's committed to, he said that repeatedly, <laughs> that he will appoint judges that are going to overturn the decision, that will take a harsher view of LGBT people. I mean, he has said this repeatedly, as have the people that he has surrounded himself with. Uh, you know, in Indiana, when Mike Pence was the governor, he did uh, horrific things. I mean, HIV actually spiked in Indiana because of the cuts he made to uh, you know HIV protections. He made it legal for people, signed a law that made it legal for people to say, we deny you service because you're LGBT. These are the kind of people that are going to be making decisions within his administration. Chris Christie, all these people have horrifically anti-LGBT uh, backgrounds and, and records, not only of saying things, but actually doing things. And so... I guess it's comforting to hear the president-elect speak in the way that he has. But once again, I mean, actions will speak louder than words, and I think, you know, we're in for some real shocks. Mm -hmm. uh, Salam, when I ask the, ask the three of you, uh, you know, Ted just mentioned uh, flip-flopping. And this interview, in, in fact, Leslie Stahl even said last night that she found uh, President-elect Trump to be very subdued. And he kind of backtracked from some of the things, as, as Gloria said, he mentioned fences. He'd be okay with fences rather than a wall in some places, just to be uh, accurate. He said fences in some places. You know, I build these things. But how much do you think and do Muslims across the country think that uh, this was campaign hyperbole or, and now that uh, he is elected, that the people will surround them and that, that there will be changes and reality sets in. I mean, put it that way. How much do you think is real and how much was just campaigning? Now, based on precedent, uh, on uh, President-elect Trump alone, he'll say something and the next day he'll say, I never said that. So we really can only go off of actions speak louder than words. Now, what we're doing is we're praying and we're hoping that he doesn't act on the hateful, bigoted things he has said about Muslims and other minority groups. Uh, and to that, there have been so many non-Muslims in the past week who have come out and emailed and contacted us on social media saying, what can we do to support? So we started a hashtag called Muslim Ally, and people are joining in by the hundreds saying, you know, if there is a ban on Muslims, I will register as a Muslim. Hashtag Muslim ally. And it's, it's becoming a, a, great, a pretty great movement to see. Gloria and Ted, uh, how much of the campaign do you think that he meant? I mean, there, there's been so much in the last week of, of dissecting what was in the campaign, what was taken seriously, what is literal, what's real, what's not real. How much do you think was real and how much do you think was just politics? Well, or maybe does that, I have to admit, <laughs> that does contribute to the insecurity, the concern, the fear, the apprehension, right? Yeah, it certainly does. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm, I'm not sure if um, people realize, but um, the, the Trump effect, which um, I've heard it called, um, has actually motivated, had actually motivated and created a 48% more uh, enthusiasm on the part of Latinos to get them out and vote. So that um, I'm not sure, and if you look at in Indiana, surprisingly, you know, the Latino vote, the Latinos voted 40% um, in favor of um, of change. And so, um, and that kind of put Trump over the top in Indiana. And so, and also I want to say that it, we're not a monolithic um, voting right, block. Right, right. We're not a monolithic voting block at all. And, and that's I think, why, I, I mean, it's, yeah. it, I hesitate to even say the Latino vote because we're right. talking about people from 
dozens of countries. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, when you look at the exit polls, it showed that 70% of the uh, of those um that voted, you know, felt that there should be some type of citizenry, some path to citizenry for Latinos. Um, then you had 30% that voted for um, uh, the other 30% that, um, um, I'm sorry, there was a 70% voted in favor and 30% uh, opposed. But You're I think, saying favor of, of Clinton. Yeah, ex- yeah. exactly. So uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying, well, no, 70, 70% voted um for Clinton in right, the Latino right, right, voting block, and right. then 30% uh, went for uh, for Trump. I was talking about the exit polls oh, okay. and the path to citizenship. So oh, that okay. so that I feel that because there is 70% across the board, whether irregardless of a uh, Democrat or Republican, irregardless, that 70% of uh, citizens that uh, voted felt that there should be some path to citizenship. I think that gives some hope because you can't just appease uh, the base. You've got to uh, you've got to take into into consideration the the broad implications and the broad support that comes with this past citizenship for Latinos. So I think there's some, some um, uh, again, some hope there. Well, let me, can I interrupt for just one second? One sure. of the reasons I confused everyone out there is because <laughs> the, the, about the same percentages, uh, actually, the Latino vote, there were like 29% of Latinos who voted for Trump. And I think that surprised a lot of people yes. that yes. the the percentage would be that high. Okay, that's yeah. a little less than one third. Why right. uh, why did he get such uh, a su- support from Latinos? Well. I think again, it depends on where on location, location, location depends. Because if you look at Southern Florida, where there's a lot of uh, Cubans Cuban, there, a right. lot of Cuban population there, they're they're highly Republican. They still remember the um, the oh the Cuban Missile Crisis. They're still back where Ilium got taken from his parents. Uh, there's uh, got got sent back, you know, deported back to his father right. in Florida. Uh, the the um, the Bay of Pigs. I mean, there's a lot of uh, Cubans that have come into Florida in Southern Florida. Florida, and uh, so if you just look at that part of it, I think there was a surprise there that um, not only did you have the Cubans also voting for uh, that for Trump, but then there were others that were voting again because we're not monolithic. They were looking at you know maybe they're pro-life, um, and and there are some other issues that were near and dear to their values, and so there was some, and that was across the board too. So. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure that we can say that. Um, you know, everybody was looking at the immigration issues, the main thrust for uh, for voting. Mm-hmm. And and that's a. I think it's a very accurate statement because a lot of times we in the media look at one issue, major issue, and say, oh, that's the reason they're voting the way. I mean, abortion mm-hmm. is a is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. You said maybe pro life. Uh, so Ted, uh, you know, getting back to hyperbole and and politics and all that. What do you think? Well, you know, just to a certain point, you know, Quality Pennsylvania in the course of the election knocked on 200,000 doors in Pennsylvania. I mean, that's an unprecedented number. And those numbers were created from people who were supportive of our issues. So, you know, we, we and, you know, everyone was pretty well received in, in, in doing that. So I can't say that the community isn't behind us, allies as well. And I think, you know, also we've had an outpouring of great support from allies in the community saying, you know, we're there for you mm-hmm. too. And I think that's terrific. Understand about the LGBT and especially the transgender community, the T in it all, you know, so much of the rights, so much of the work that's moved forward, so much of the progress is relatively new, is very, very new. Marriage equality Mm -hmm. is very new. And so many of the, the advances that have been made for people have come because of executive orders, have come because of not 
actions taken by a legislature or an elected body, Mm -hmm. but because the president of the United States signed an executive order. Donald Trump has said he would he would, you know, erase those immediately. And so people think very quickly that that also means that, you know, come January 21st, all our rights are gone. And so, you know, there's a very real fear. I mean, that is a very real fear. And once again, I mean, I can't get past the fact of trying to believe what elected people or candidates say. I mean, you know, you can't you can't just put it out there and then suddenly when the election's over, she'll go, oh, I didn't mean that. Or now that I won, I'm a different person. I mean, I think we can't we can't forget that. Sure, the LGBT community is resilient. That is a word that we have used repeatedly. No one understands that more than than this community. However, as I said, these are very new uh, things, especially the transgender community. Uh, You know, the one bright spot, I think, in in a lot of this is that the governor of uh, North Carolina, who signed horribly anti-transgender legislation into law, lost. And so, you know, people came out very much. Corporations came out in support. So, you know, I think it's a balancing act. Uh, I think it's a balancing act. But for for the LGBT community, these are very new rights. And so they're very fresh. They're very fresh. And I think that's why the the fear is so raw. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Joining us to discuss the impact of the Trump administration may have on Muslims, Latinos, and uh, LGBT Americans, the Salam Body, Deputy Spokesperson of the uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim Community of Central Pennsylvania, Ted Martin, Executive Director of Equality mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, and Gloria Vasquez Merrick, Executive Director of the Latino Hispanic American Community Center of the Greater Harrisburg Area. We have a few minutes left in this segment of the program. 1 800 729 7532. Send an email to org. Let's take a phone call from Dave in Lemoyne. Dave, you're on the air. Hi. I, I just uh, wanted to say that uh, all the people who, who, who have voted for Mr. Trump because of, of all the things that he says and the policies he wants to implement, uh, I, I think he's, he's gonna, they're going to find that he's pretty much the, the uh, sort of standard bearer or the front man for for his uh, administration to be, and and we found out uh, t- today that uh, he's just named two people uh, who who are among the people who are, who are real, at least especially one of them. The uh, what, what's his name, Banner? Uh, Bannon, Steve Bannon. Bannon, yeah. I mean, he's he's the one that's been that's been you know uh, uh, the the pulling the strings behind. Behind Donald Trump, I think, and Donald Trump has—he's got his prize. His whole—he—he's uh, now, you know, he's a real estate salesman, and he now is in possession of the prime real estate, you know, the White House and the Capitol building, and and I don't think he really cares that much, uh, you know, how what what actual implementation of policy uh, is in, <laughs> involves. Uh, you know, he's going to leave it up to these guys. And they, uh, their, their history. I mean, you know, go online and and look at what these people, or what particularly this Bannon guy, uh, is is all about. And hey. and you'll see that that you know there it is uh, perfectly legitimate to to fear. Uh, you know, minorities and, and Muslims and, and whatever. Hey, well, thank you very much for your call. Ted, what about that? I mean, uh, you, you kind of touched on this earlier that, uh, uh, you know, with the actions of the president-elect will say where he's going. And Steve Bannon, for those who aren't familiar with him, uh, you know, former publisher of Breitbart magazine, which um, is you know, very, I mean, he's been described <clears throat> as a flamethrower. Um, 
So what do these appointments say to you? Well, they say to me that we really have to be on guard. They say to me that we really have to be incredibly aware of these decisions and what's coming down the pike because, you know, once again, I mean, Breitbart has published anti-Semitic articles. Uh, Steve Bannon has signed off on anti-Semitic articles. And, you know, I, I have to say that is uh, that is not real news, if you ask me, that's that's very frightening. And so I think, once again, actions speak louder than words, and these people are going to be sitting in the White House right next to the Oval Office. And, uh, you know, I think people are going to have to truly be aware that these decisions are going to be looked at in a very interesting lens. Mm-hmm. Let's take a phone call from David in Gettysburg. David, you're on the air. Scott, great show. Thank you. Um, uh, this, is, this is long overdue and, and unnecessary in this healing time that we need to go through. A little bit of uh, observation for Ted. Um, When you're talking to people in this marketplace of ideas, uh, tell them their candidate flip-flop like a fish, not probably going to get the best kind of uh, interaction and and moving forward and and, and working together. Um, A question for Gloria. There are um, some... um, People in the that have, that have come across the border that are uh, are bad apples. Um, not all of them. I, I have some friends that are, are just lovely people, uh, but having those bad apples sent back to where they were they came from uh, is that something that that's that, that there's opposition to? Uh, I really don't have a lot of people I can talk to about the, the subject. All right. Thank you very much for your call. Well, what we do know is that of the 4 million um, uh, illegal immigrants, uh, 2 million of them have been identified as being um, a criminal offense. Um, To what extent or how they would determine, um, to to what extent that criminal offense was, um, and what impact that will have on whether, in fact, those people will be deported, I don't know. Um, know, That's kind of a a wait and see. But... um, uh, you know, there's also been a lot of um, there's been a lot of uh, news in the media about illegal immigrants that have committed offenses and have you know there was the uh, the murder in um, I'm trying to think uh, there were quite a few of San Francisco in, in San Francisco yeah and then um, so so we just have to wait and see um, I, I can't say that if. If you were to say to the Latino community, were well, the first ones in line of fire in terms of being deported were the illegal immigrants, maybe there'd be there'd be a little bit more of um, um, empathy in terms of the thought in itself. But um, I can't say that uh, that that it will not also lead to some uh, some backlash. Salam. Now, uh, Rich Scott from Gettysburg said that he doesn't have many people he can talk to about I'm, a certain I'm issue. I'm Scott, by the way. Oh, oh, that's rich. Oh, hey, guys. Uh, so uh, from uh, the, this, the caller from Gettysburg, he said that uh, he doesn't have much people he can talk to about a certain issue. So what we want to do is we want people to go outside of their comfort zones to reach out and meet different people. And to that effort, if you go to trueislam.com slash events, you can find a coffee, cake, and true Islam event near you. We have one right here in Harrisburg tomorrow night at 6 p.m. at Dalasia uh, Bakery uh, and Cafe. Everybody's more than welcome. We provide the coffee and the cake. It's free. Uh, just come and let's have a conversation. And, Ted, I'm going to have you uh, follow up on what that uh, other earlier caller said. But first, I want to take this one because he's along the same lines here. Uh, Gary is in Juniata County. Gary, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. I, I just 
all I did was wake up the other day and think of that Indian. I don't know if you remember the commercials where there was litter and there was all kinds of problems, and he looked and there was that one tear in his eye. And I just feel like that for this country. I just feel like I don't know what it would take for either side to give an inch and say, hey, um, you know, maybe he didn't mean all the things he said, but my gosh, did he stir up. It just, it just, you know, the, the language was just intolerable. So I came up with this saying the other night. I said, America punches itself in the face, and now the rest of the world has to wake up with the black eye. So it just, it's one of those things where I don't see where to start the healing process. And, um, boy, every side's just dug in, um, and, and I don't really see anybody giving an inch. So thank you very All much. Right. Thanks for your call. Ted, about that, and you can, uh, you know, follow up on what the gentleman said earlier about uh, talking about the president-elect flip-flopping. Sure. I mean, I think the, the bottom line is he owns it now, and I think that it's his responsibility, and it's our responsibility to sort of keep the conversations going, as my, you know, co-panelists have talked about, and certainly to reach out. Uh, you know, I think that my comment was only based on the facts of the past 48 hours, really and truly, uh, of what's been coming out of the news. And I think that um, all of us have to pay attention. I mean, and I think if anything, it's awakened people to understanding what their leaders and the decisions they make mean to them. And I think now we have to really pay attention to these things. And, and you know, how does this, how does this really impact? To Gloria's mm-hmm. point, we have to wait and see, but I think we have to wait and see mm-hmm. pretty sharply. Salam, do you see this country coming together? Oh, definitely. Definitely. You do? Yes. And sure, we're seeing a lot of emboldened bigots come out in the week and two after the election. The emotions are high. Um, and that doesn't make it right. So what we need to do is we need to continue to reach out to each other. I mean, the amount of emails we are all mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. from people who are not of our exactly. community, it's just fantastic. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. really riding that wave, we'll be able to get through this. All right. You, you brought something up here. In the week since Donald Trump was elected, there have been a number of incidents across the country of uh, people from your communities that have been harassed, African-Americans, just a lot of groups that have been harassed. Uh, Last night in the 60 Minutes interview, Leslie Stahl brought this up to Donald Trump, and uh, he said he really wasn't aware of that, but this is his response. I'm very surprised to hear that. I I, I hate to hear that. I mean, I hate but to you hear do it. hear it. I don't hear it. I, you I, do, you're I not saw, seeing I saw one or on, two instances. On, on social media? But I think media? it's a very small mm-hmm. amount. Again, I think it's do the media. Do you want to say anything to those I, people? I would say don't do it. That's terrible. Because I'm going to bring this country together. They're harassing Latinos, Muslims. I am so saddened to hear that. And I say stop it if it, if it helps. I, I will say this, and I'll say it right to the camera, stop it. Ted? Let's hold the president-elect to his words. We're going to hold him to, we have to hold him together, everything he said before the election, and now we have to, he is the president, he will be the president, we're going to have to hold him to those words. If he means it, then he's going to have to say it, and he's going to have to act it, and actions will speak louder than words. Yeah, I think this might motivate the other 46.9% of the population that did not vote. And so, um, you know, it makes you wonder how many of those out there protesting, how many people are being impacted. You know, some of them may not have voted. And so I think if nothing else, uh, they've rallied. Um, they've rallied. Uh, what's the uh, the cliche? Um, um, you've, uh, anyway, they rallied up to uh, another whole half of the country. And I think that's really important. And people need to take a look at, you know, was I a part of the solution or was I a part of this? And so um, I'm hoping that... Um, 
you know, that will have an impact and that, um, as Ted said, that, you know, people will take a look at themselves, too, and see, you know, what do I need to do differently? How can I get involved? How can I be part of the resolution here? Absolutely. Those words uh, have an impact, do you think, uh, Salam? Yeah, I mean, if if we can hold the, uh, his supporters to account by, you know, pull, maybe if we could pull up our phone and say, hey, he said stop it, we, we'll have some uh, way in through this. And it comes back to what our Khalifa, the, His Holiness Mirza Masur Ahmed, has said that we need to have justice on every single level of society for peace to happen. And justice has to happen even if it's against you. So a lot of people disagree with the results of this election, but the just thing to understand is that democracy is continuing. We may disagree with who is the president, but we have to agree that the system works. And if there's something he does that you don't like, then go through the legal ways to stop it. You know, and you just touched on this, both of you, Gloria and uh, Salam. Uh, I receive emails all the time, people suggesting... Uh, you know topics for shows and one of the topics that uh, I've gotten a few emails on this something Gloria that you just mentioned is that maybe what this election does and the outpouring of either support or opposition uh, is get Americans more involved that uh, you know one in particular said you know maybe people will contact their legislators now if there's something that uh, they disagree with or they support so maybe it gets american people more involved in the process mm-hmm. you know a presidential election is 4 years from now people have short memories but uh, you wonder whether this actually will motivate people to to get involved i had an email here asking uh, do we have any voices of black people on the panel this morning and i have to admit that uh, you know there are a number of different uh, communities that we could have had represented this morning the african american community could have had uh, you know women groups groups representing women uh, there are a lot of them out there fortunately i unfortunately i only have a, a, a some a certain number of chairs and a certain amount of time but uh, uh, obviously, um, there are a lot of groups out there. There are some groups out there that should be represented at the table, and this is something that uh, we, we will do in the, in the future. Uh, let's take some more phone calls here. Let's see. Who do I have on the line? Uh, but, but, but let's go to Joe in uh, Camp Hill. Joe, you're on the air. Hi. How Hi. are you, Scott? I'm doing well. Uh, I, I commend your selection of panelists, but I agree with what you just said. Uh, being a woman, I would have loved to have seen a woman represented on the panel. The misogyny in this campaign was horrifying. And when people talk about actions speaking louder than words, Mr. Trump's actions through the years certainly bolster the misogyny that he displayed during the campaign. His treatment of his wives when he was divorcing them, his uh, sponsorship of beauty contests and the objectification of women, he objectifies his current wife now. She has very little role in in his thought process. Um, uh, I, the whole thing that horrified me on Tuesday when I woke up Wednesday morning was, what the heck? I mean, people voted for this man who feels this way about women, mm-hmm. and what is that saying about the way I'm going to be treated going forward? I'm 71. I've fought for egalitarianism my whole life. I'm a lawyer, and I went to law school in the in the 60s. Uh, th- this this is astounding to me. I'd hey, like hey. to end with one thing. A lot of people were saying Trump will be our voice in Washington. I couldn't agree with you more. 
we are our voice in Washington. We must call our legislators in Harris. Excuse me, Harrisburg and Washington, and thank you for that comment. Thank you very much for your call. And we do have a woman on our uh, on our panel, Gloria. I'm sure, as a woman, that uh, it's not just Latino issues that uh, are uh, you know something that you've been thinking about. Yeah, I actually think your your um, your speaker that just called in your caller um, just kind of it's almost like she was on the panel because I could <laughs> just echo her um, her sentiments. Um, I have to say that I, on the on the part of um, abortion, I think there's been a lot of people out there. I mean, you heard the comments yesterday. Well, they'll just have to go to another state, and so sometimes you know you just have to wonder the mentality and um, with regard to women. You know, some of the again some of the things that were mentioned by the caller, um, I have to reinforce. And um, again, unfortunately, as Ted said, and my other colleague here has said, it, it, it's a wait and see if uh, there's the follow through and uh, what happens in order to neutralize uh, a lot of the sentiments out there, in particular, you know, not only to women, but across the board, as all of us can see. It's uh, it's uh, the black community, the Latino community, the LGBT community, the Muslim community, and we could go on and on and on. So I don't think anyone has been skated or anyone has uh, been left out of this, um, out of the equation in terms of the significant impact. I think what we also have to be careful about, though, is to realize that, I mean, I have heard a lot of people say, oh, this is really, you know, racism and, and, uh, uh, you know, that has come to the forefront and this and that. But I just want to say that, you know, a lot of this has been occurring already. So I don't think that we can really blame and say that if you voted for Trump, that it is, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, the racism's out there. It's been, it's been prevalent, but it has been brought to the forefront. And so I do want to make sure that, you know, we say that, uh, that I, that I touch on that because at the community center, we hear comments all the time, even before Trump, even the, you know, going back, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the ages here, um, you know, it's been happening again. It's just that, you know, people are talking about it more, people are seeing it more and we need to be cognizant of that. Well, uh, you're right. We, we could uh, have this conversation a lot longer and uh, we will, I'm sure over uh, the coming months and the coming years. But uh, I want to thank the three of you for joining us. Salam Bhatti, Ted Martin, and Gloria Vasquez-Merrick. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank You're you welcome. for having thank us. Thank you. Thanks. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Today is World Diabetes Day, established in 1991 by the International Diabetes Federation. The day is used to bring attention to a disease of, uh, and uh, that affects more than 400 million adults and the need for testing and treatment. With us to discuss how diabetes impact Pennsylvanians, Dr. Dr. Lauren Robinson, Deputy Secretary for Health Promotion and Disease Prevention at the Pennsylvania Department of Health. Dr. Robinson, welcome to the program. Also joining us is Dr. Renu Joshi, an endocrinologist at Pinnacle Health. Dr. Joshi, welcome back to the program. Good morning. Thank you. If you have a question or comment about diabetes, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at org. You know, I, and I have to say that uh, the, the last week, the news has been... It's not just even the last week leading up to the election that uh, the news has been dominated so much by uh, the election, 
the campaigns, the results, that uh, there are a lot of other things that have been kind of put on the back burner. But, uh, you know, I going to say that if you're dealing with diabetes or you suspect you're going to be dealing with diabetes, this is something that may be your number one priority as as we're, we're moving along, no matter who is in the White House or who is the governor of the state of Pennsylvania or whomever. I just wanted to put that out there. Dr. Robinson, let's start with, with you. World Diabetes Day. Uh, we have a lot of awareness days. What's different about this? Well, so something that's different about World Diabetes Day is that you know, almost everyone knows someone who has diabetes. And I think because kind of you hear that someone has diabetes and then kind of people move along with their day, it's not elevated as much um, in the media in terms of causing devastating effects. So the things that we hear about, clearly we've got the election going on, but a lot of folks um, really get uh, awareness raised kind of in their, their personal lives and professional lives when there's a lot of death. And I think that the, the disability and the profound numbers of people that diabetes affects um, is why it's so important for us to elevate it. And I think the other thing that's great um, or that we really need to think about is that we can prevent a lot of these things from happening. So much of when you hear about these uh, World Awareness Days, um, they're really dismal illnesses with really a poor prognosis, meaning that people aren't going to do well and, and there's not much you can do. And, it, and sometimes it, it's just futile to try to kind of combat something like uh, certain types of cancer diagnoses. And it's almost difficult to know how or if you could have avoided it. I think with diabetes, we have a unique opportunity to intervene to let people kind of manage a disease that mostly by themselves, um, to be empowered to um, talk to others about their disease and, and to stay healthy um, either with the disease or to kind of work toward eliminating it in their lives. But Dr. Joshi, even though, as Dr. Robinson mentioned, uh, it can be managed, diabetes can be man managed, uh, there still, when we're talking about type 1 diabetes, there is no cure. No, for type 1, there is no cure, but there is research going on for the cure for type 1 diabetes. But I think what you must realize is type 1 is still only 1 to 5% of the population. The 95% of the population has type 2 diabetes, which is clearly preventable. And what Dr. Robinson um, was mentioning was the pre-diabetes, which is what we need to prevent. Roughly around 29 million people in U.S. have diabetes, but 86 million have pre-diabetes. So that's 1 out of 3 to 1 out of 4. And that's an astounding figure people don't realize, which means if you're sitting in front of me, one out of four people have a chance to have prediabetes. Now, when we're talking, and I, I want to show the difference between the two, uh, because mo uh, very often, I shouldn't say most often, but very often, uh, when you're talking about, you just say diabetes, uh, there are many people who think you're talking about referring to type 1 diabetes, when today where we really are seeing the growth is in type 2 diabetes. Dr. Joshi, what about that? The type 2 diabetes is directly proportional to obesity. Right. So as the obesity grows, your type 2 diabetes grows. Type 1 also grows, but that's more genetic and autoimmune, so we have no really fair chance to prove it or stop it. But type 2 diabetes is what we talk about when we talk about plain diabetes. Mm -hmm. Dr. Robinson, how much of a concern is type 2 diabetes for the state? And as Dr. Joshi just said, and I think that uh, there are a lot of people who understand that when we're talking about type 2 diabetes, it is directly related to obesity and not taking care of ourselves. That's exactly right, and I, and I couldn't agree with Dr. Joshi more. Like, so in the, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, we have over 1 million people who have uh, type 2 diabetes. So uh, we have 1.4 million people who have diabetes altogether. But 
thinking about that number, 1.4 million, 1.38 million of that 1.4 are people with type 2 diabetes. Um, and this doesn't even include our, our pre-diabetes population, um, which, um, you know, in Pennsylvania is something that we can really intervene on. We can, we can spread the word about how important it is to kind of know your numbers, know kind of things that you can do to stay healthy. Um, my mom always says not everybody has to be a stick, but you can be healthy um, at higher weights. So knowing how to eat healthy foods, um, being able to get access to healthy foods. How, what are we doing in our communities that don't currently have access, and how do we make sure that they have access to healthy food and, and exercise programs or opportunities to um, maintain healthy weights so that they can prevent themselves from getting diabetes? Now, I want to talk about uh, – we're going to take some phone calls, I should say, in just a moment. But to be, since you brought that up, uh, let's talk about symptoms, if you you will, or signs of pre-diabetes. How does someone know that they are pre-diabetic, Dr. Joshi? So the pre-diabetes has no symptoms and no signs. So there that's the problem. How do we know? There is no way you can know you have pre-diabetes. That is why the American Diabetes Association asks us to get screening done. And anybody who is above 35 and older should get an yearly screening for blood sugar in the morning. If your fasting sugar is less than 100, you are normal. If your fasting is 100 to 126, you are pre-diabetic. And if your sugar is more than 126, you are a diabetic. That is why the whole Diabetes Month, we are doing screening programs everywhere. That's where we are at the Capitol today, doing screenings from 10 to 1. The World Diabetes Day, the International Federation says that we need to at least screen 1 million people in the month of November itself if you want to prevent this disease. So there are no signs and symptoms. The only way you're going to know is know your number. So just to repeat that, at the Capitol today, when? 10 to 1. We're going to do free screening from 10 to 1. We have some celebrity chefs coming who are actually going to be talking about healthy diabetes dishes from Stocks on Second, from Charles Tracy Mansion. And then we also have Kendall Simmons coming, who is a type 1 diabetic himself. He was a formal NFL football player for Pittsburgh Steelers. And he actually is a big advocate of how you can live a healthy life and a good life with type 1 diabetes. All right, let's take a phone call from Christine in Newburgh. Christine, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to know what the professionals had to say about further research on stem cell research for treatment of type 1 diabetes. Doctors, who wants to address this? So there's something called as encapsulation, where they're actually trying to get stem cells to grow into beta cells of the pancreas. And that research is very much in progress. There's actually going to do clinical phase two and phase three trials in the coming year. Uh, There's a drug company who's actually involved with that. So hopefully we'll have some data by 2018 or 2019. So it sounds like we're fairly close to at least yes. getting some results of that of that research. The the clinical phase two trials are going to start in 2017. All right, Christine, thank you very much for your call, uh, Dr. Robinson. Let's talk about uh, uh, you know Dr. Joshi just member for, pre, for just mentioned from pre diabetes, no symptoms. That you know, fortunately, when you go in, when a person goes in for uh, their physical, their you know once every six months, once every uh, year, uh, that that. It, Blood sugar is one of the things that is looked at. But for those younger people who may not have the healthiest diets, may not exercise that much, they often don't know about it. So let's provide some advice here. What are the the bottom line, you know, what, what do you say to people out there who may not be eating that well, may not be exercised as much as they should? So, you know, I think that one of the things that people can do that almost probably everyone can do, unless you're really a marathon runner, is um, 
staying hydrated and drinking plenty of water. So I've seen uh, multiple people, um, you know, as the deputy secretary, I represent the state. I also still practice medicine. And so when we see folks who come in who don't know that they have a diagnosis of diabetes, one of the um, overwhelming characteristics is that people notice that they've been more thirsty. And unfortunately, when people are more thirsty, most of us want to drink something that tastes really good. And usually that's not water. And so um, I see folks drinking a lot of sweet tea, a lot of um, kind of sugary sweetened beverages. And so if you're someone who, you know, doesn't drink a lot of water, I think the first step could be maybe even um, changing your drinking habits. So instead of drinking juice for every single meal or drinking juice throughout the day, try to supplement or substitute uh, with a bottle of water. Um, I think even just adding one gla- one bottle of water a day makes is what we call lifestyle change, and, and it's easier to build on something like that than to tell somebody, you know, from now on I need you to only eat raw vegetables and drink only water. So if, if people can make just a small lifestyle change, that's still a win. Um, and then, you know, when they go in to see their doctors, and when someone goes in for, for a healthy screening, um, thinking about getting their blood sugar checked really is, is, is the main way. Um, some of the other things that people might notice with, with pre-diabetes or with early diabetes would be darkening of the skin at the back of their neck or kind of under their arm. And that is um, something that in the medical community we call acanthosis nigricans, which is a really big word or a really big two words. Um, that really means your skin is darkening because your body is having a trouble processing the amount of sugar that you're taking in. And so if people see darkening of their skin, that's another reason to go to see the doctor and try to get that blood sugar checked. Mm-hmm. Dr. Joshi? Yeah, I wanted to just add on a couple of more things. Number one, I think, as I said before, the obesity is directly related to diabetes. So I have a very simple principle I tell all my patients. If you want to lose weight, it's one pound a week if you lose 500 calories per day, which means whatever you're doing, if you cut out 500 calories per day, you're going to lose a pound a week. When that, again, can be further divided into exercise and diet. So if you just put 20 to 30 minutes of exercise every day of the week, or you could do 45 minutes of exercise five days a week, you're going to lose 200 calories. The other 200 to 300, if you just, very simple, cut out 100 calories per meal, that's going to do it. So it's a very simple way of looking at it. That's something people think that they can do. And six small meals really go a long way to help you from getting obesity because you secrete less insulin, and the less insulin means less hunger and less weight gain. So nobody should should start their day without a small breakfast, healthy breakfast, and six small meals go a much longer way than eating three big meals. Mm-hmm. Also, some other, uh, other symptoms of type 2 diabetes, blurred vision, slow healing, sores or cuts, itchy skin, especially in the groin area, yeast infections. Dr. Robinson mentioned increased thirst, uh, and with that increased thirst comes having to urinate more often, and dry mouth. Uh, is that dry mouth uh, all day, or is that sleeping, or what, Dr. Well, Joshi? all the time, because all you're actually time? peeing all the time and you're drinking all the time, but you still are thirsty and dry all the time. All right, let's take a call from <coughs> Diane and Hershey. Diane, you're on the air. Yes, uh, statins have been implicated in type 2 diabetes, and it seems so that doctors always focus on the weight issue when um, most recently I, I saw a study in, fin- in Finland where nearly 50% um, of people taking cholesterol-lowering drugs did develop type 2 diabetes. Is it that the pharmaceutical industry is trying to suppress this or that doctors still don't believe this? Or what, what, sh- what are your thoughts about this? All right. Thank you very much for your call. Dr. Robinson? Hello, Dr. Robinson? I'm here. Sorry about that. Okay. Did you hear the question? That is, I did. That's, so that's a great question. So um, statins have been implicated, um, not 
initially statins are a type of medication that are, are used to treat high cholesterol, but they have been shown to be of benefit um, in type 2 diabetes as well as in other conditions. Um, I think one of, the, one of the challenges, as with any medication, is that uh, people need to see if that's a medication that's right for them. So medications can be associated with side effects depending on what other medications a uh, patient is taking and what their underlying conditions are. And so it's really important to talk with your doctor to figure out, based on what kind of conditions you have, based on what kind of diabetes you have, uh, would a statin be an appropriate adjunct or, or, or treatment that can help you with with your prediabetes or with your diabetes. Dr. Joshi, I have to admit that surprises me somewhat because there are doctors who just rave about statins, say that we should take it for much, I mean, it's, it's, there are those who say it's been linked to uh, reducing Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. for example, that statins are just a wonder drug. What about that? I will tell you, though, uh, you have to put things in perspective. 65% of diabetic population would have or die from cardiovascular disease at the end, so they'll have a heart attack or some kind of heart problem. Statins have been phenomenal in their use for preventing cholesterol from rising and improving cholesterol and saving heart attack. That data is absolutely true, and I can completely agree with Diane that there is some data which has now come out from many journals and publications that they increase the risk of type 2 diabetes when they are taken. Yes, the risk increases 3 to 4%, which is a minor in comparison to the benefit they provide. So you really have to look at the risk-benefit ratio. If people are less than 40 years of age and they don't have any problems, then they don't have to take a statin, especially if their cholesterol is good. But people above 40 years of age who have heart disease, who have high blood pressure, who have high cholesterol, a slight increased risk of blood sugar will, in my opinion, not stop the beneficial effect of statins. So I would still use a statin and then improve diabetes by other means. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. And I have, no drug, I have no stocks in any drug company. <laughs> Dr. Robinson, we have about uh, 60 seconds left. What advice would you give our listeners today as we're refocusing attention on diabetes? So not only would I encourage people to get out and get screened um, for World Diabetes Day, but if, if each person listening today could talk to three people about, about diabetes, I think we'd make a huge impact. As Dr. Joshi said, uh, diabetes um, can, can really affect one in three, one in four people. Um, and once you have just any conversation with three or four people, you've touched somebody who may have been affected by diabetes. So if we could have those conversations today and throughout the rest of the month, that would be great. Dr. Joshi? Yeah, I have the same thing. November is not the month when you just get screening. In fact, we do have an event, another one coming up for screening from Pinnacle on November 19th, which is at the Enola Capital Blue Cross. So they can go there for screening, but it should not stop in November. My personal uh, advice to everybody is just lose weight, get your screening done, and live a healthy life. And real quick, the event today that uh, there are free screenings available? Yes, 10 to 1, there's free screenings available. At? At the Capitol, Capitol on the east east wing of the rotunda right next to the cafeteria. Dr. Renu Joshi of Pinnacle Health and Dr. Lauren Robinson of the Pennsylvania Department of Health, thank both of you for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. I hope that there are a lot of people out there listening who will take advantage of those free screenings on this uh, World Diabetes Day. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, always a treat. Uh, Ken Burns will be at Messiah College uh, tomorrow night, and I had an opportunity to talk with the historic documentary filmmaker uh, a a few days ago, and uh, we will have that interview on the air tomorrow. Also, uh, a White House chef, former White House chef. Uh, We talked about, uh, we talked about, uh, you know, some chefs and celebrity chefs around and, uh, you know, uh, having to do with healthy eating. We'll be talking about that on tomorrow's program as well.